If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Now, you're very welcome back. Time to talk global politics. and glad to be joined in the studio by Thomas Conway, as usual. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good, good morning, Fran. Good to see you today. It really is a time of change right around the world. Look at what's been happening in the Netherlands. There's a surprise for everybody. There is a surprise for everybody. I, I could not get over this. I could not get over this outcome. For people who aren't maybe familiar, there was a general election in the Netherlands last week. The long-serving Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, uh, who had been in power for about 13 years and has led the Netherlands through thick and thin, he's decided to step down. Uh, it was foreseen that his successor, a woman called Dillon Yesilgoj, uh, would replace him as Prime Minister should they get enough votes. But instead... Who swept to power but a man called Hurt Wilders, who is a far-right character, a real anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim campaigner, anti-Islam campaigner. Just a remarkable result. The opinion polls didn't foresee it. Nobody foresee it. No, nobody saw it coming. Uh, but Wilders snatched power and it looks like now that he would be able to form a coalition with a number of uh, slightly smaller parties. And Thomas, would he not have difficult forming, uh, difficulties forming a coalition? Because a lot of the parties were saying we, we wouldn't work with him. But of course, this was ahead of the election. This was ahead of the election. And that would have been their long-standing views because Wilders is a fascinating man. He's not, he's not a new kid on the block. This mm. guy has been around the place for the past 20 years or so. He's always been there agitating for change. He's been one of the foremost right-wing characters across the EU. We saw them spring to popularity during the kind of migration crises of around 2015 to 2018, that kind of period of time. Mm. Since then, they're, they've kind of maybe lost a little bit of popularity. They've fallen in the opinion polls somewhat. But my God, has he, has he burst back onto the scene now. Did, did he follow in the steps of Marine Le Pen in France in that did he begin to water down some of his yeah. rhetoric? In some and way? he moderated and softened. And this has been a theme we've seen of many right-wing leaders and many right-wing parties, Marine Le Pen being the obvious one, whereby they start to soften and moderate their rhetoric uh, to come across as a little bit more genuine, a little bit more uh, government responsible, mm. I suppose, is the word I'm trying to, uh, trying to find, because they know that in order to, to attain the votes they need, that they need to appeal, to appeal to that middle ground of voters. And that is what Wilders has done here. He has softened his rhetoric slightly. He has kind of veered away from the anti-immigrant, anti immigrant uh, anti-Islam stance mm. and concentrated more on the pressing issues such as the cost of living, uh, mm. the cost of... the cost. And housing is a huge issue. Housing is another huge it? issue in the Netherlands. Yeah. There are all sorts of problems affecting their housing, their property sector. Uh, so by focusing in on these issues, by honing in on these particular issues, he has cultivated quite a strong uh, following, quite a strong mm. uh, cohort of support there. Uh, still, though, I didn't foresee this. And, and nobody else did. I was looking at some of the pictures when the, the results came out and the look of shock on some of the uh, politicians was, was incredible. Um, it, it, it's a bit of a culture in the Netherlands, is it not, to take a long period of time to form a government? Yeah, though, they have it? a history of uh, taking absolutely ages to form coalitions. Yeah. And Was it 10 months? To, 10 months previously the for the one, previous yeah. administration, for Ruta's previous administration. The way I foresee this going was there will be some co sort of confidence and supply agreement. The the will say formerly the main party, the party of Mark Ruta, uh, will will engage in a confidence and supply agreement 
with Hurt Vilders' party. He'll be thrown in with a number of other smaller parties there as well. It's quite complicated, quite complex and quite difficult to get your head around. But the thing to realise is that Hurt Fielders is here to stay now. He is likely going to become Prime Minister. And because of that, he's going to be a real thorn in the in the side for the European Union. This guy is an advocate of Nexit, the Netherlands exiting the European Union. Now, he has kind of shied away from that during yeah. the campaign. He hasn't made that a campaign pledge because there isn't much appetite for that in the Netherlands at present. But he is still very much an ardent anti-EU campaigner uh, he will cause lots of problems in terms of European solidarity, solidarity in respect of the war in Ukraine, in respect of various other issues. So it's difficult to see him getting on well in Europe. Uh, he would probably create more problems than than will be welcomed by European leaders. It's, is it an indication of more to come, though, where elections in Europe uh, are concerned? I think, and I would be fearful. I mean, we saw the events in this country in the past week. We discussed it off air, how yeah. we don't have an actual political far-right grouping were probably quite unique in that respect because a lot of countries do. In the Nether or in Hungary, you have the likes of Viktor Orban there who's been in government, yeah. been in power for years now. Uh, there are various factions in Poland, other parties. Spain have their own party called Vox, a far-right grouping. These parties are very prevalent across the continent and are dangerous frankly, to, to, to say the least. It's very interesting. It's kind of ironic as well. The winner of the Booker Prize, I'm not sure if you were reading about it today, but it's um, a book about a dystopian Ireland that is led by a right-wing nationalist government. Yeah, this, well, yeah. isn't that, could that be prescient? Yeah, it's an amazing... Prophecy, maybe, yeah. Prophecy, indeed. indeed. Yeah. Yeah, right, so that hostage exchange deal then and the pause in fighting in uh, Gaza... Um, what, what about that, Thomas? Yeah, where, I mean, where are we now where this is concerned? Well, where are we now? I mean, first of all, the, the scenes of Emily Han's reunification yeah. with her father and her half-sister were just, were joyous, were beautiful yeah. to look at. Uh, and it is a reminder that I suppose uh, some positivity can shine through, but we're still at a very, a very precarious stage in these hostage negotiations. It looks like the truce between Hamas and the Israeli government may well be extended beyond the four days that it was initially agreed, uh, which would allow for the transfer of more hostages. But we're getting into complex territory here. Benjamin Netanyahu has been, he has been unambiguous and unequivocal. He wants this or this prosecution of Hamas to continue. Uh, he will continue this war at all costs. Um, and it looks like beyond uh, beyond the next few days, we will be plunged mm. back into a state of warfare, back into a state of bombardment like we had before. Right. So even if we have an extension, Thomas, you're saying war will resume. War will, war will resume and war will emerge yet again. And I think that is why the international community is increasingly worried. You have leaders like Joe Biden really pushing for the extension of this truce. And I think trying to hammer the message home to Netanyahu that they just simply cannot keep persecuting Gazan citizens like this. The civilian death toll is just too high. Yes, and, the, and children in particular. And children in particular. Are, are they saying it's, it's described now as a graveyard for children? A graveyard for children. That was how the World Health Organization termed it. Uh, a graveyard for children. And that's exactly what Gaza has become. When you look at the scenes, the rubble and the destruction strewn yes. across the landscape there, it's hard to look at. It's hard to watch. Now, Israel have every right to continue in their war against Hamas because it is critical that Hamas, I think, is exterminated. And I think that is that is 
Benjamin Netanyahu's raison d'etre now. That is what he is in there to do. He is in, he will be forced from power himself, ultimately. Mm. Uh, I can't see him lasting beyond... Yeah, because I, I was reading a very interesting article over the weekend, and the speculation is, is this the end of Netanyahu and Hamas. Yeah, and I think that is probably an accurate summation of, of the scenario at present. I think Netanyahu isn't going to last beyond the spring or beyond however long it takes to exterminate or get rid of uh, Hamas from, from the Gaza territory because the blood is on his hands. It happened. It was an Israeli intelligence failure, a catastrophic intelligence failure. And as Prime Minister, the book ultimately stops with him. He has to take responsibility for it. He's received plenty of flack from uh, Israeli citizens, from Israeli society for his handling of the crisis. But it looks to me like that would be an accurate summation that Hamas will end and Netanyahu's yes. term as Prime Minister will end. The question in on both fronts is who will come in to replace both Hamas in Gaza and Netanyahu as Prime mm. Minister. And do you think, is it inevitable in Gaza, Thomas, that a void will be filled even if... Hamas is exterminated. I think so. Now, there are various ideas floating about. One is that the Palestinian Authority, which is the Palestinian group that controls the West Bank, Mahmoud Abbas, will step in and fill the breach, fill the void. Another is that maybe a coalition of Arab states, the likes of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the UAE, will will form some Mm. sort of administration. And would that be acceptable to Israel? I, that is the question. That yeah. is the that is the big question. What would be acceptable to Israel, and what would be acceptable to Israel's international partners as well? Because right. they cannot allow Gaza, Gaza to slip back into ruin, to slip back to where it was before this crisis began. It is simply unsustainable. That's what Hamas has proved. Mm. Uh, this whole crisis. But has. looking at the photography and the videography. Um, I mean, that country will have to be built, rebuilt from scratch. Rebuilt from scratch, effectively. And it will be a major logistical effort. It will be a major humanitarian effort, uh, let alone for the people. You have people here who are not only the the physically wounded and physically who who have died, uh, you have people who will be mentally scarred and will hold incredible resentment towards the Israeli government. There is always the danger of an insurrection, the, the, the danger that forces in Gaza will mobilise against uh, the Israeli government. That danger exists there because they've been persecuted so badly now. Uh, It is a really dangerous situation. It's a really complex situation to solve and there is no easy solution to it, Fran. It... uh, you know, there are various ways of going about it. I think the international community will be key, though. I think however way it plays out, mm-hmm. the US, America, uh, the UK uh, and the European Union will play a big role in the reconstruction effort of Gaza. I think that has to be said. But but any prospect that this peace will last, you you think? I can't see no, it as an enduring peace, no. All right, OK. We ask you to have a look at a historical figure for us every time as well. And uh, an iconic one indeed, um, Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. Yeah, it struck me. It was the uh, JFK's anniversary, of course, last Tuesday. Uh, And as we had already done JFK, I was wondering who... Who to pick? Who might? Who? What character might be suitable? And Bobby struck me as the ideal figure, and he really was. He was an inspiring politician. He was a generational yeah. leader, yes. and well, very much part of JFK's success as very well. Very much yeah. part of JFK's success. He, ser- he served as JFK's Attorney General. He was always, I think, the kind of 
uh, one of the hidden faces within the Kennedy family burning, uh, growing up born November 20th, 1925, also known by his initials RFK and by his nickname Bobby. He was an American politician and a lawyer, served as 64th United States Attorney General from 61 to 1964. That was under the JFK administration and he helped, he was the man choreographing a lot of JFK's political campaigns and of course he would go on to run a momentous political campaign himself for mm. the presidency in 1968 only to be shot down, to be taken down by Sirhan Sirhan mm. an assassin uh, in the Ambassador Hotel. He was brutally assassinated like his brother which really is tragic in the sense that you just wonder you just wonder what might the world of be course, like yeah. had one of the Kennedys survived had one of them had, stayed around. Had he won the primaries for the Democratic Party at that point. He, he was, was on the verge, he was well, on the was verge he? of receiving yeah. ratification as, as a candidate. Uh, so he was on the verge of standing up to compete against uh, compete against Richard Nixon, yeah, I think, yeah. uh, and stood a real chance, a real chance of re-election. Uh, you know, he had been endorsed by, by many, by various Democrats, really, really popular, mm. and really popular across the political divide in America. He had appealed to the black community, the Hispanic community, uh, there was and a sense was of solidarity. Was that because he came across as being fearless? I mean, he took on the, the unions, he, he took on the mafia, God yep. knows, you know. I mean, was that fearlessness? I think there was an element. Appeal. I think there was an element of that there. I think people found him inspiring. People truly believed yeah. that he could lead and lead America to a better place. Great orator, of course. A fantastic yeah. orator, and yeah. there is, there are accounts of, we'll say, the oration, the speech he gave on the night that Martin Luther King was shot yeah. uh, in in one of the cities. It escapes me now, but uh, his speech was so moving that there were no riots yes. in that particular city. That the there was complete solidarity. But the irony of it is, though, he. He did endorse the, the tapping of Martin Luther King's phone, did he? Yeah, there are certain kind of peculiarities like yeah. that uh, that creep into the Kennedy story. And I think there are all these hidden secrets in that. Uh, that's when you get behind behind the, the curtain of uh, US bureaucracy and the US political system. You have lots of things happening, lots of surreptitious uh, mm. acts taking place. And that was probably one of them. He... Uh, but on the other hand, he was quite supportive of Martin Luther mm. King. Uh, he supported the and civil rights, the course, civil yeah. rights yeah. movement, an ardent supporter of it, really. Uh, so that was kind of a peculiarity. But it is amazing to think that. I mean, he was a, he was still a relatively young man when he was yeah. assassinated. He stood a real chance of being elected president, a real viable chance uh, of attaining the White House. Uh, but it was cut short for him by Sirhan Sirhan, uh, who it, it came up, he was released for parole, supposed to be released for parole earlier this year. It was denied for him, so he's still in prison. Dad and I just discussing it on the and, way down. And again, a lot of conspiracy, of course, around the killing. A now, lot of conspiracy, too. Yeah, uh, typical, yeah, yeah. typifying uh, the Kennedy name. You know, they really are a family yeah. steeped in ill luck, but they are, they are an incredible family, yes. uh, an incredible political dynasty. And there is no other word for them. They were a political dynasty. You had Ted, which maybe yeah. we'll look at another day. But Bobby, I think, was mm. was my personal favourite, just was for he? his... Do you know, I think the most interesting of them all is Joe Kennedy, is the yeah, father. His father, yeah, yeah, his father, who who had many different layers to him, oh, was highly yeah. ambitious for his children. Ruthless. Uh, ruthless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the unions and the mob. And all indeed, yeah, indeed, yeah. and sort of involved in all sorts. 
Um, give us a clue what we should be looking out for uh, this week. UK, I suppose. First there's of plenty all, of things. Yeah, yeah, there's the reaction. We had the UK autumn statement last uh, last week, which is effectively the UK budget. Yeah. So the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, went out and announced a new package of measures, uh, the budgetary measures for the coming year ahead. Uh, it solicited a mis- mixed reaction. Uh, you some voters were. Uh, happy enough with certain tax cuts in it, others weren't so weren't so content. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how it pans out over the next few weeks, how, over the next days and weeks, because Rishi Sunak, as we know, is a man under serious, serious pressure. Labour is all the while climbing in the opinion polls, well above him. Keir Starmer on course to be the next Prime Minister, bar a major reversal of fortune. So yeah. Rishi uh, would be feeling for, the heat there. For sure. We mentioned uh, Victor Orban in uh, dispatches earlier on. What, what's he at now? Where yeah, they... he's threatening to blow up Ukraine or the EU's Ukraine policy. So this is really worrying in respect of the war in Ukraine. Mm. Victor can, Orban, he do, can he veto that? He has the power of veto. And yeah. this is the thing with the European Union. You need unanimity across the member states in order to approve a decision. So in order to approve a, a, a for, make, make a formal decision, you need all uh, all 27 member states to agree. Uh, so one one veto can can right. hold up the entire process, and that is what Victor Orban has. Uh, so what is this about financial and military support for Ukraine? For Ukraine, it? he disagrees with it. He disagrees with it fundamentally, right. uh, and he is in he's in trouble all right already because the EU was holding back pandemic recovery funds from Hungary. So that's another point of dispute. He may be using this as leverage to kind of get at those negotiations. So it's a really it's a really interesting one. I mean, Orban is. And we'll look at him in detail a little bit more on the programme someday. Mm. He's a really intriguing figure, how he has come to power in Hungary and the mm. grip, the sheer grip he has over Hungarian is, is society. He not, is he not sort of coming from, from an interesting place, though? Because, I mean, America can't continue to support Ukraine in the way they have been doing so. Yeah. So the result of that, if they pull back, particularly if there's a Trump presidency, um, what what will the result of that be? Yeah, and Europe will have to take more yeah. responsibility ultimately. So you can see, you can see maybe where where Orbán is coming from because Europe. Europe has a right to protect. Europe contributes uh, a disproportionately low volume of income to to NATO, to its uh, yes. defence forces. I think it's 3% of national GDP that a country is obliged to yes. spend. Very few Trump, European Trump was very countries. strong on that, Trump wasn't was he? very yeah. strong. Ironically, yeah. is one of the few points that Trump was probably right on. Mm. Uh, you know, in hindsight, because NATO is underfunded, the Americans still contribute disproportionately to it. Uh, so the EU will have to step it up a gear here. But Orban certainly not afraid to to make his point, make his case. Very good. And finally, uh, drug liberalisation in New Zealand. And of course, the, you know, we should be looking at this here as well because a lot of talk of that where yeah. Ireland is concerned. Just yeah. thought I'd mention this. Yeah. Helen Clark, the former pre- uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, has advocated for a policy of drug decriminalisation mm. effectively, which would make legal the use of certain illicit drugs for, I suppose people in certain circumstances whereby it's seen as a medical condition, whereby they're suffering from drug addiction, drug problems, uh, uh, unable, to, unable to cope with their problems. Uh, she advocates that doing this would, would, I suppose, improve their situation rather than have a situation whereby they were forced into prisons, forced into legal action, forced into the courts, whereby there would be a, a special mechanism to address their problems. Um, 
and to, to help him out, to intervene, to make an early intervention, essentially. It's a very interesting concept. It's one which I think could work in a country like Ireland. Certainly, she's a very big mm. advocate of it in New Zealand. Other countries have trialled it, decriminalisation of things like marijuana mm. uh, and other drugs like that. There are certain concerns around it. How far do you let it go? Uh, could it escalate course, beyond yeah. something but that can be controlled? Most people's argument would be the, the so-called war on drugs. I think it was Nixon who came up with that. Um, it just has failed miserably, yeah, hasn't it? Precisely, yeah. precisely. And yeah. we have, you know, drugs is running rife in Ireland at the moment. We have them circulating in every yeah. rural backwater, every town out there. Uh, so it's something we really have to address and take a look at. And Helen Clark may be onto something here. All right. Great to see you as always, Thomas. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much indeed. Thomas Conway with us as usual on a Monday looking at all things uh, global. Our voucher winner are Thurlis Voucher winners uh, Theresa Williams from Clock Jordan uh, Mary Stevens Carney from Nina and Mary Croke from Kill and All so well done to all three of you and uh, we'll have more vouchers to give away for you every single day this week and it's by way of celebration of the fact that uh, the lights will be turned on in Thurlis on the 1st of December and of course encouragement to shop local and to shop in Thurlis News and information's on the way This Christmas